0: to Luke chapter 2. Let's read together verses 1 to 20. I want to bring a message this morning entitled Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. The scripture says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this text that tells us in great detail about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus and the good news that his birth brings to a lost and a dying world. God, I pray that you would open up every heart To receive the things that I say this morning. That your Holy Spirit would do that which only he can do. And that is to draw people into a relationship with you. Lord use this time. Teach us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Robbie I'm going to ask you to decrease my sound. Seems a little bit loud to me this morning up here. Folks, you know there are, there are a few wonderful occurrences in the Old Testament where, where God came down to be with his people. I want to give you a few examples of that. This is certainly not an exhaustive list by any means. But you may remember that occasion when Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 is going back to meet his brother Esau and he's scared to death what Esau is going to do uh, to him because the way he had previously tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. Well, he sends his his family into another area one night, the night before he meets up with Esau. And the Bible says, over by the brook that is called Jabbok, in the area of Peniel, Jacob gets alone with God that night and he ends up wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He doesn't realize at the time who it is that he's wrestling with, but he soon soon finds out. And from that point on, Jacob is a different man, and God gave him a new name. In Genesis 18 we have another appearance of the Lord. Three men come to Abraham to promise him that he and his wife Sarah are going to have a son. Abraham does not realize that one of them is the angel of the Lord. He's told not only about the birth of Isaac to happen the following year but he's also told by the angel of the Lord about the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and so Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord allows Lot to be rescued and then lastly I think of the birth of Samson The angel of the Lord has appeared to Manoah's wife to promise her a son. Manoah is not present for this awesome meeting. And so he prays to the Lord and asks to be able to see what his wife has seen. And so the angel of the Lord appears to them again. And they ask the name of the angel. And the angel says, why do you ask me concerning my name, seeing that my name is wonderful. They don't realize it's the angel of the Lord. But as they offer the burnt offering uh, to the Lord, the angel of the Lord ascends back into heaven in the flames and Manoah thinks that they will surely die on the spot because they have seen the Lord. Folks, what Jacob saw, what Abraham saw, what Manoah and his wife saw were those times few and far between in the Old Testament when God breaks in and reveals himself in a special and a glorious way to his people. But none of those occurrences even begin to compare to what is now taking place as we come to this narrative in Luke chapter 2. Heaven burst in unexpectedly from nowhere to announce the incarnation, the Word made flesh heaven literally came down to these shepherds and they had the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ preached to them and what this special birth would forever mean to the world. Now what we see is is that the announcement received by the shepherds was an announcement that would forever change the world. Folks, it is a message of joy to the world because the Lord has come. Think about that. The Lord has come. God who is transcendent, who is out there, who is removed from us is now imminent. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. It's staggering to think about what is taking place here. God is coming into humanity. Jesus is fully God, but in the incarnation, he's also becoming fully man. He's existed eternally with the Father. There's never been a time that he did not exist. John says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. Bethlehem was only the beginning of his humanity. What an amazing event we are allowed to witness here in this text. Let's see how it unfolds. First of all, I want you to notice with me this morning the providence of God. The providence of God. Look again with me briefly at verses 1 through 5. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We see the providence of God in these events, the sovereignty of God. God is in charge of all of these arrangements. Folks, it's truly incredible what's taking place here. I want you to listen a moment to the words that Paul says to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I want you to think of that phrase with me, the fullness of time. And then you look back at Luke chapter 2 and you understand what is going on here as we come to Luke chapter 2. This is that fullness of time that Paul has written about. God has arranged all of this. It was a difficult trek of more than 80 miles and they traveled that 80 miles walking and riding on a donkey and all of this while Mary was nine months pregnant. Ladies, think of that. Think of the difficulty of this journey. Now, in in verse 2, Luke is very careful to set the historical context for us. Though it's not an easy matter to settle historically, some evidence suggests that Corinnaeus was governor of Syria on two different occasions. From 6 to 4 B.C. and then again from 6 to 9 A.D. Which, of course, would be too late. And so the birth of Jesus was not earlier than 6 BC and it was probably not later than 4 BC. What Luke is careful to ensure here is that his readers would comprehend the fact that the birth of Jesus is firmly rooted in history. Folks, this is not a fairy tale. This is real history. Luke includes historical data for us so that everybody around would be able to verify exactly what he is speaking of. Now can you imagine the anxiety and the worry that, that Joseph and Mary must have felt? Here Mary is nine months pregnant. They have no choice but to go and register after all Caesar Augustus himself has decreed this he's the head honcho he's in control right he's calling the shots he's dictating all of this well no not actually You see, the Bible points out in Proverbs 21 that the heart of a king is in the Lord's hand and he's able to direct it as he directs the course of a river. God is dictating this whole scene. God is working through this decree. This massive census was simply God's way of getting Mary and Joseph at the right place at the right time for Jesus to be born. God is fulfilling his word. The scripture had prophesied 700 years earlier that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, the Bible says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That prophecy is so specific. You see, there were two Bethlehems. There was Bethlehem Ephratah, which was close to Jerusalem, only about four to six miles away. And the other Bethlehem was up in Galilee. And so eight centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ, God had said that his birth would be in Bethlehem Ephratah. And by the way, Bethlehem means the house of bread. Now think about that. The one who is the bread of life is going to be born in a place known as the house of bread. God waited all through history for this precise moment. This was the fullness of time. Historians talk about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Under Caesar Augustus, the greatest of all the Caesars, Rome, had reached the zenith of her power. Due to the overpowering strength of Rome, there was peace in the world because everybody was scared of Rome and Rome's army. And so Rome was able to keep the world in check for the most part. They had a common language, Koine Greek. The everyday common street language. They enjoyed a good road system. It went all over the Roman Empire. They even had a good postal system. Never before had the entire world been so connected. Now this would ensure that when God sent his son, it might be a quiet event in and of itself. But the world was so connected, this event would not remain quiet. News would be able to travel far and abroad. Folks, in this providential working of God, I want you to understand the contrast that's being set up here between God and Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, was the first Caesar to be called Augustus, which means holy or revered. It was a title reserved for the gods. In fact, about the same time that Luke is writing these words, some of the Greek cities in Asia Minor adopted Caesar's birthday. September the 23rd as the first day of the new year and praised him as being the Savior. One inscription even called him the Savior of the world. They wanted to make the Roman emperor a god. And so here was this Augustus making his political decree thinking he was god while all the time he's just a pawn in the hands of the true and the living God. And the irony in it all, here was a man, a king, trying to become like God. And here is the true God who is clothing himself in flesh and becoming man. The contrast being set up here could not have been any more profound. Well Joseph and Mary they make this 80 mile journey. They finally arrive in Bethlehem. And as they arrive in Bethlehem. There's no place to stay. The village has become crowded. Because of this census. And and there's no room in the inn. Now being a small town. There would only have been one inn. And that's why the text says the inn. There was only one. And it was full. And so. Where in Bethlehem was Jesus born? Well, we know he was laid in a manger, the Bible says, which was a wooden feed box for sheep and cows. And that's why we assume he was born in a barn. Most nativity scenes have a wooden stable. But given the common practice of the day at the time, it was probably a shallow cave in a hillside. And those shallow caves were were all around. Past couple of weeks, I'm just just doing all kinds of stuff to mess up your manger scenes, aren't I? I, I? I've told you there was more than three wise men in all probability, and it's probably not a wooden stable. It's a cave. But this is where the Christ child was born. If you travel to Bethlehem today and and want to visit the traditional site of the birth of Jesus, they'll take you to a cave. And over top of that cave in Bethlehem, they've built the Church of the Nativity. Dr. Steve Patterson in our church is doing some engineering work there at the Church of the Nativity. He can tell you a lot more about it than I can. But folks, I want you to think about the providence of God in all of this. God has arranged the birth of his son to be precisely as we read. Why did God do things this way? Why did God do things so humbly? From man's perspective, Joseph and Mary were nobodies. They were peasants, poor peasants from a nowhere town. Why did God do things this way? He did so in order to identify with us. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 the Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Ray Stedman writes, Now you would think that if God so rules the world as to use an empire-wide census to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, he surely could have seen to it that a room was available in the inn. Yes, he could have. And Jesus could have been born into a wealthy family. He could have turned stone into bread in the wilderness. He could have called 10,000 angels to his aid in Gethsemane. He could have come down from the cross and saved himself. The question is not what God could do, but what God willed to do. God's will was that through Christ, though, though Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. The no vacancy signs over all of the motels in Bethlehem were for your sake. For your sake he became poor. God rules all things, Stedman writes, even motel capacities for the sake of his children. The Calvary Road begins with a no vacancy sign in Bethlehem and ends with the spitting and scoffing and the cross in Jerusalem. Folks, I want you to see first of all this morning that the providence of God in all of these arrangements is simply amazing. It is phenomenal. God has taken care of every detail just the way God wanted it to be done and the way God had prophesied that it would be done. How is he able to do this? Because he's God. He's sovereign God and he rules and he reigns in the universe. And I want to tell you this morning, if God can take care of all of these arrangements just according to his word, like he said hundreds of years before, then that means he can take care of your life and my life. There is no detail about your life or my life that is out of the view of Almighty God. God sees everything about your life. God knows you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that he even knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything. Not even a sparrow falls into the bosom of the earth, but what God doesn't take notice of it. He knows every detail of your life. And the Bible says God loves us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... And he uses the events of your life and my life to bring us into a relationship with him. You and I look at our lives sometimes and we curse the trials and tribulations in our lives. But folks, it may be those very trials and tribulations that God is using to conform us more to the image of his son. I want you to understand this Christmas season, this providential God that we have. He is a great and an awesome and a mighty God. Now secondly, I want you to see the proclamation that begins there in verse 18. Uh, Excuse me, verse 8. The proclamation. No child born into the world that day seemed to have lower prospects. As Dr. Kent Hughes writes, if we imagine Jesus was born in a freshly swept county fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched. It was scandalous. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and acrid straw made a contemptible bouquet. Hughes goes on to write, it was clearly a leap down as if the Son of God rose from his splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe and dove headlong speeding through the stars over the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower. And yet look at the clarity in this announcement this proclamation. No greater birth has ever occurred. And God proclaimed this birth to the shepherds and that was no accident either. That was providential. Shepherding was very important in Jewish life In Israel sheep were the common livestock And shepherding sheep was a way of life for many Jews There were also those who were shepherds in a more professional sense Instead of being a family landowner with sheep And and, and all sorts of things to support your family There were shepherds who were professional shepherds And who were wandering herdsmen And they moved throughout the land staying wherever they could for as long as they could and they supported their flocks and some of them were hired to raise sheep for the sacrificial system at the temple in Jerusalem by the way the the shepherds who raised sheep for the sacrificial system in Jerusalem many of them kept their flocks In the fields of Bethlehem, again, uh, only about four to six miles away from Jerusalem. Some people think it was these very shepherds who had customarily been raising sheep for the temple sacrificial system who were the shepherds that the announcement of the one who's the Lamb of God came to for the first time. Think of the irony in that. It's like God was saying to these shepherds who raised sheep to be killed at the temple, I want you to go and investigate because I'm going to show you the, the the, the one who is the true lamb of God whose blood is going to be shed for the forgiveness of all who come to faith in him. At the same time, the surprising thing about these shepherds was they were the lowest people. In the socio-economic standing of the day. They weren't even allowed to testify in the courts of law. But the greatest pronouncement of all. The greatest proclamation of all. Came to these shepherds this night. And look at what the proclamation said. First of all, the angel says, Do not fear. Look at verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. Do not fear. There's a lot of fear in the world today. We're living in a war. I don't think I've ever seen so much fear as we see in the world today. There's fear everywhere we turn. Everybody is fearing the crime that's going on in the streets, the terrorism around the world, all the bad stuff that's going on all across the globe. So much fear. But folks, when Jesus is in your heart, the world can be a mess, but you can have peace in your heart. You don't have to live in fear. These shepherds were told, do not fear. Do not fear. Do you realize that fear can literally lead to death? Time and again, this has been shown to be true. After the 1994 Northridge, Los Angeles earthquake, over 100 Californians literally died of fright, according to Robert Cloner, cardiologist at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles. He found that fear can be so intense that the brain triggers a release of hormones and chemicals that can literally stop the heart. Fear. Just living in today's world causes fear for some. But with Jesus in control of our lives, we don't have to live in fear. We live by faith. Does that mean he solves all of our problems? No. But he gives us the strength and the wisdom and guidance to live through those problems and come out the other side victorious. Something else about this pronouncement. He says it's a pronouncement of good tidings of great joy. Even in a dark world, in the midst of a dark world, God gives joy. And this joy is because of a baby born, the savior of the world. Folks, everybody thought taxation was the big news of the day. Little did they know that the birth of Jesus would be the biggest news of all of history. Dr. A.W. Tozer writes, If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, He would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have given us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have given us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness, and so God gave us a Savior. Matthew chapter 1 says and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying behold the virgin will be with child and will bear son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us Jesus the Lord saved Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He was born. He was human. But he's given. He's God. He's fully divine and fully human. He's the God-man. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Good news of great joy which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Folks, there's never been a proclamation that could even come close to equaling that proclamation. God's announcement to you and to me that there is an answer, there is His answer to our sin problem. You see, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned to to our own way." But God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a proclamation. That men and women who have no hope who have no relationship with God. We're alienated from God. We've gone our own way and we've made a mess out of our lives. We've made a mess out of the world. We've made a mess out of everything. God says, I'm giving you a Savior that you can be reconciled to me, that you can have life, and not just life, but eternal life. That's the proclamation that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good news. That's saying the least, isn't it? Good news. Well, lastly, I want you to see the promise. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They found things just as God had said. Now, folks, imagine the confirmation that all of this must have been for Mary. I mean, think about the trip. The circumstances of the birth none of it like she would have imagined maybe she's begun to question the validity of the angels visit to her nine months earlier after all if her child was the Messiah why would she be out in a cave giving birth and putting her child in a feed box but now not only Wise men show up, but these shepherds, and these shepherds are telling her and Joseph this announcement that's come to them from the heavenly host out in the fields. All of this must have just absolutely blown Mary away and been a tremendous confirmation in her own heart. They see the one who is the promise. He's the promised Messiah. And after seeing Him, it changes their lives. Look at what they do. They witness. They go out making known to everybody what was told to them. Not only witness, but meditation. All who heard it wondered. And Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And then there was praise. The shepherds went back praising God and glorifying God. Folks, shouldn't this be our response too? Witness, telling others. Meditation, thinking of what God has done to save us. And praise, thanking Him every day. Should be our response. Something that's heartbreaking today is to see how we've changed the focus of Christmas away from the birth of a Savior... And and we've put all the focus in the world today on a fat man dressed in red. Santa lives at the North Pole it's so they say Jesus is everywhere Santa rides in a sleigh Jesus rides on the wind and walks on the water Santa comes once a year Jesus is an ever present help Santa fills your stockings with goodies but Jesus supplies all your needs Santa comes down your chimney uninvited Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks and and, and enters when you say come Men. Santa says, you better not cry. Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Santa's little helpers make toys. Jesus makes new life. mends broken and wounded hearts repairs broken homes and builds mansions in heaven. Santa puts gifts under your tree. Jesus became our gift, and he died on a tree. Folks, there's no comparison Between the legend of Santa and the reality of Jesus Christ. In one family, the dad decided this Christmas was going to be a little bit different. So he called a family conference and he said, I want us to be more disciplined this year in our management of time. We're going to back off of buying expensive gifts. And we're going to be nice to one another and we're going to get along. Boy, he was getting all pumped up like a coach before a big game and he finally said, this is going to be the best Christmas ever. His son raised his hand. He looked over and said, son, what what are you wanting to say? He said, but dad, there's no way we could improve upon the first Christmas. The fact is, You can't improve upon the first Christmas, what we see here in Luke chapter 2. What an awesome event that changes lives even today. The best news you will ever hear in your life is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Have you come to Him Have you come to Him? Have you ever been convicted of your sin and through the power of the Holy Spirit you've been drawn to Christ? Has God done that work of grace in your heart where you're born again, born from above, and your life is changed and you become a new creation in Christ? Folks, if you celebrate Christmas as a holiday and miss what it's all about, it's all in vain. Don't miss what it's all about. Christmas is about the fact that you and I can have a relationship with God through Christ. Is there someone here this morning that needs to come forward in a few moments and say, Pastor, pray with me. I need a relationship with Christ. I don't know him. I'm still alienated from God. I don't have peace in my heart. I don't have joy in my heart. Pray for me. Not only myself, but others will be down front to pray with you. Some of you need to respond like Mary and just ponder these things and meditate on them in your heart. Be drawn closer to God at Christmas because of this wonderful act of grace that He's given to you. Folks, take time this Christmas season to think about what God has done. We enjoy the presents under the tree. We enjoy family gatherings. We especially enjoy all the food. But it's not about that. It's about what God has done in Christ. And then during this Christmas season and after, go out and tell others the great things that God has done. Praise Him, worship Him, and make Him known. That's the fitting response to the greatest news of all. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this message. The glorious message that we celebrate at Christmas. That you've sent your son to be the savior of the world. Of all those who come to faith in him. Lord, it's not automatic. You've got to move upon our hearts. And men have to respond in repentance and faith. And I pray that people all over this sanctuary would be moved to do that this morning. That they would come humbly to you. That they would make haste as these shepherds did. Because the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Lord, for those who have had that experience of the new birth in the past. I pray that we would constantly ponder the great things that you've done for us. The salvation, the forgiveness, the peace. And that every day that we would live out the joy that you bring to our lives. And Lord, help us to be a witness to others because countless others don't have this hope that we have. They're going to go to bed tonight and they're still going to be just as hopeless as when they got up this morning. Help us to be a witness to them. That they too might know. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.